Hello, and welcome to another episode of GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students. I will be one of your hosts for the, today, Vicky Telios. And I'm Yemin Chen. I'm the second host on tonight. How are you doing, Vicky? I'm doing pretty well. How about you, Yemin? Oh, excellent. That's great. So today we are joined with Ming Yuan. She is from the Department of Anthropology. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. Great. So tell us a little bit about your work. I know that's a huge question because you've done your PhD in anthropology. What's the background of your work? Um, the background of my work, uh, just a little bit of background of myself. Mm -hmm. um, I did my undergrad in Beijing, Yermin University of China in international politics. Mm -hmm. Then I came to Canada for sociocultural anthropology. I did a master degree at Western. Um, then I continued as a PhD student. Uh, and now my PhD project is about the meaning of being Chinese in Madagascar. Okay. Yeah. So does that have a personal connection to you? Do you feel very closely tied to this project? Um, yeah, actually, I. but I never knew anything about Madagascar until mm -hmm. I started my PhD. Uh, it was my supervisor um, who suggested me um, go to Madagascar to check out uh, possibilities there. And um, I did, and I liked it very much. So I decided to go back to Madagascar for more research. Hmm. I also don't know much about Madagascar, to be honest. Um, so tell us a little bit about your experiences there. How did you find it? How does it compare to Canada or even China? Um, Madagascar is the first African country that I've ever been to. Mm -hmm. uh, even though uh, Madagascar is not it's very different from the countries on the African continent. Uh, a lot of Malagasy people would say, oh, we're not Africans. Um, but it does have a lot of similarities with a lot of African countries. It is bigger than France, uh, even though it's in just an island off the east coast of the African continent. And um, so if I go to Madagascar, I usually fly from Toronto and then transfer in Paris mm -hmm. and then go to the capital of Madagascar called Antananarivo, or in mm -hmm. short, Tana. Okay. Yeah. Tana, I like that better. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the, the names are always so long. Mm -hmm. But the city I worked uh, was uh, is called Antiranana uh, mm -hmm. or Diego Suarez. So they have okay. two names. Okay. Yeah. So what's the, the language that they speak in Madagascar? So they have two official languages. The first is Malagasy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the native language. Um, okay. But there are many variations of it in different dialects. Mm -hmm. The official Malagasy is based on the dialect of the Merina people uh, on the Central Highlands. Okay. Um, but in the north, they speak a dialect called the Sakalaba, which mm -hmm. is a dialect that I'm familiar with. Uh, they, their second official language is French because Madagascar used to be a French colony mm -hmm. and then they gained independence in 1960. But French just continues to be the most important language mm -hmm. in a sense because of the official media and education, um, a lot of them are in French. Okay. Right. So as you were preparing to go on these trips, um, did you have to do any special uh, language classes? Did you speak French or Malagasy before starting this project? Um, if you are just going there for tourism, you don't really mm -hmm. need. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find people who can speak English, who can carry a conversation in English. Okay. Uh, a lot of tourism guide actually, they can speak some English. Um, but I prepared myself for uh, the languages because of the anthropological uh, research. Um, 
it's it's a requirement for us to learn the local language. Mm -hmm. So I had to take undergraduate courses at Western with the French department mm -hmm. um, for almost two years, I think. Okay. And uh, once I arrived in Madagascar, I started to learn Malagasy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was the process like there when you were learning Malagasy in Madagascar? Are there like formal schools that you go to to learn or is it with um, just like teachers? Not really, because I was affiliated with the University of Antiranana. Okay. And I, um, as a way of giving back to the community, I agreed to teach volunteer uh, teaching English to Malagasy mm -hmm. students at the university. Then you find um, university students with their, uh, who can speak English or French and Malagasy. So I just have a really nice friend who came to teach me three times a week. Oh, wow. And he is um, so good. He would prepare little pictures and <laughs> he would draw pictures and draw like a body, human body with like different body parts and with the Malagasy names. Oh, that's and great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, would it be possible? Um, could you give us an example of what it sounds like? Would you be able to introduce yourself in Malagasy? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah? Um, so... I would introduce myself in Malagasy, um, that means hello everybody. Oh, wow. uh, my name is Mingguan, Zabokashin, Zamiacha Canada. That's like I'm from China and work in Canada. Oh. Um, yeah. It sounds like you're pretty fluent in it, <laughs> to uh, no, be no, honest. I mean, but this self-introduction <laughs> I've repeated so yeah. many times. Um, yeah, but. It, that's how it sounds like. It's an Austronesian language. Mm -hmm. uh, it's more similar to indigenous Taiwanese or Philippine languages mm -hmm. uh, or languages people speak in Papua New Guinea or Indonesia. So, wow. yeah, it's very different. It's, mm. it, yeah. All places that are very far from where Madagascar is now in, in Africa, right? Yeah, that has to do with uh, the origin of Madagascar. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of archaeologists have a theory that, you know, they the island drifted um, towards the African continent. So, okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So rather than actually split away from Africa, it drifted over from basically Southeast Asia and that it, yeah, area. Yeah, exactly. And then that's why oh. now you go to the capital uh, on the Central Highlands. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You find the Medina people. They look like Eastern Asian people, too. Oh, wow. They are not mm -hmm. so uh, like stereotypically African looking. Mm -hmm. uh, and then... And that's why, again, Madagascar is a very, it's an incredibly diverse country. Mm -hmm. uh, you get the Medina people and you also get the people on the coastal areas. Uh, um, and then there are a lot, a lot of mixing mm -hmm. um, with Arabic uh, businessmen, people f with South, e uh, South Asian origins mm -hmm. and uh, influences from the African continent, too. So it does sound very diverse and a whole group of people are coming in to Madagascar, what draws them into Madagascar? So what sort of business is there that can support these types of people? Well, in history, Madagascar uh, is an important spot on the South Indian Ocean trade route. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of Arabic uh, uh, traders. And okay. Yeah, and then uh, just it's, it's very different from what people imagine, right? Madagascar is really out of the way at the corner of the world, mm -hmm. just an island drifting in the South <laughs> Indian Ocean, which is actually not true. It has mm -hmm. been a place um, of uh, rich history and diverse um, mix of different ethnicities. 
Yeah. Oh. Right. So, I mean, I'm mostly familiar with Madagascar from like the animated films, and I imagine <laughs> most people don't know too much about <laughs> the people there, other. And they think of lemurs, for example. Yeah. But you were there to study people as an anthropologist. What sort of uh, project? Well, could you talk a little bit about what are the parameters of your project? What were you there to research? So my research is about the meaning of being Chinese in Madagascar.、Mm-hmm. So I mainly focused on three particular contexts.、Mm-hmm. Um, so the first of all is a, a sugar plantation managed by a Chinese state-owned corporation. Okay. And second is the networks of private businessmen who enabled the movement of cheap Chinese commodities、mm-hmm. from Guangzhou, China, to Madagascar.、Mm-hmm. And then third contact is the Confucius Institute.、Um, If you know about Confucius Institute, is the、um, um, government promoted、uh, educational projects that、mm-hmm. aims to promote Chinese language and culture worldwide. So the equivalent of that would be the American Peace Corps or the French、okay. Alliance Française. Okay. Yeah, and they have、um, educational projects worldwide,、uh, sponsored by the Chinese Ministry、mm-hmm. of Education. Yeah, so I'm looking、mm-hmm. at these、uh, relatively new. Influences of the Mandarin-speaking Chinese in Madagascar, and I'm just not just looking at the Chinese communities there, but、mm-hmm. rather the interactions and the encounters between the Chinese and the Malagasy people in these particular contexts.、Mm-hmm. So, so is Chinese spoken often in Madagascar? Is that has that island accommodated to support、um, all of these Chinese workers that are in Madagascar?、Um, there is.、Um, An increasing influence of Chinese、okay. projects,、um, for example, in infrastructure construction and educational projects and commodities、mm-hmm. in Africa in general, and Madagascar、um, is of course part of it.、Um, but I wouldn't say that the influence is as big as the you know the traditional Western countries yet. Okay.、Um, but there are more and more Chinese. Businessmen and also people working for the state-owned corporations going to Madagascar to work on these projects.、Yeah. So Madagascar seems kind of far away from China. What is it that draws these、uh, Chinese businessmen, these investors,、um, these people to a country like Madagascar?、Um, this is part of the recent trend of China, China's foreign policy too.、Mm-hmm. Um, so China has this going out policy. Um, since the open and reform period,、uh, since the nineteen seventy eight, okay, and also recently there is、uh, this new Belt and Road Initiative, which、um, promises a lot of the financial aids to African countries. All right,、um, and they really encourage、um, Chinese corporations to go to Africa.、Uh, a lot of them started as an aid project,、mm-hmm. but actually they are. Um, they are not just like for nonprofit development projects. They are、uh, making money.、Um, it's a business. Okay. Yeah, in Africa. Yeah. Hi, it's、uh, the producer here, Ariel.、Uh, I just wanted to jump in and ask a little question. I'm wondering、uh, how do the local Madagasy, if I'm saying that correctly, people feel about China, China's government influence、uh, on Ma- on Madagascar. Do they, are they happy that you know they're coming in and and trying to help?、Um, I imagine they either they might 
be happy with it because they get some benefit of it or they might feel like they're encroaching on their autonomy in in a way like they i mean they don't want to be a french colony obviously yeah that's a very good question uh the the feeling of local malagasy people is obviously mixed um so Right now, the ch- a lot of the Chinese projects do pr- uh, provide a lot of benefits for the local community. Take the sugar plantation, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, they would provide uh, health care um, and housing to permanent workers at the sugar plantation. I'm talking about the Malagasy workers. But at the same time, what they provide is very minimal. Um, they would cover the uh, health bills say if you go to the hospital and then they would cover your bill but just don't forget the hospitals don't have much Um, Mm -hmm. so people get sick and they would probably not get proper treatment just at the local hospital but that's really what they have Um, and then a lot of local people um, they think that the Chinese bring new fractures to the local community Um, because at the same time, the Chinese are not just working on their own. They're hiring Malagasy people. And then there are higher ranking Malagasy officials uh, who work closer with the Chinese and obviously who benefit more. Um, but then the people who are kind of at the bottom level of the labor hierarchy, um, they're still kind of being exploited. They're not paid very much. So um, it, it's, it's really, um, it benefits only a few. But again, uh, if the Chinese are not there, then that a few group of people, they won't get benefits either. So it's very, uh, yeah, it's a mixed feeling for the local people too. And also the local people would think the Chinese commodities are usually low quality, you know, won't <laughs> last long. Um, made uh, made in China is what they call kalatirazi, means just bad quality. <laughs> yeah. And then for Chinese languages is always... Uh, hard to learn and the mm-hmm. Confucius Institute has been there for uh, I think s- uh, for many years at least for uh, f- yeah for many years but there are not many people who are really fluent in Mandarin Chinese mm-hmm. um, and yeah it's not very effective uh, mm-hmm. educational projects at all. So is it these sort of social and cultural interactions and relationships that you you went to Madagascar to study? Yes, that's that's exactly what I uh, was uh, hoping to study, and that's hoping exactly to. what I did. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. So you said your project involves the idea of being Chinese in Madagascar. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means, sort of the way you imagined it, and what are your sort of findings there? So what I mean by being Chinese, mm-hmm. um, that just not only mean being a Chinese person there uh-huh. or just Chinese immigrants or worker there. It also means how Malagasy people think of Chinese people, mm-hmm. Chinese things, and Chinese culture. So that's why I incorporate mm-hmm. the commodity side of the story right. and also the language education uh, part of the story. Yeah. So when you were there, you spent most of the time talking to Malagasy people rather than the Chinese people that, um, that are in Madagascar? Uh, actually, I interacted with both. Okay. Uh, and that's very interesting mm-hmm. because um, a lot of Malagasy people, they just assumed me um, to be on the same side with the Chinese all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, 
because I look Chinese too. It's just、mm-hmm. like the first thing that came to their mind、mm-hmm. that I must、right. be with the Chinese. And then the Chinese people notice that I hang out a lot with Malagasy people, and then、uh, they call me, "Oh, you are being Malagas Madagascarized," because、um, <laughs> I'm I have a lot of Malagasy friends.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm kind of in the position in between. And that、mm-hmm. I like that because that gives me the good、uh, a good positionality to see both side of the story.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's really cool to see how you kind of immersed yourself in their culture and you 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 know felt、uh, like they didn't necessarily include you as a, as one of their own, but they still you know、uh, felt very comfortable talking to you. You said you、uh, you built a trust with them. I'm wondering if you spoke to anyone whose parents. Were Chinese immigrants or grandparents were Chinese immigrants, and how they felt,、um, you know, having I guess in your words, ma- being Madagascarized or I don't know the word. I I I'm just, just coming from that, this as <laughs> made up that word. <laughs> I'm just coming from this as、uh, I my parents were born in、uh, my parents are from South Africa and I was born in South Africa and I came to Canada、uh, when I was when I was a kid. Uh, and now I still my parents have a community of like South Africans that they know, and they still instill in me, oh yeah, you're South African. But I I feel very Canadian, and I feel like it's uh, it's kind of a mix. I'm wondering how those kids that might have been grown up grew up in Madagascar their whole life, but their parents just happen to be Chinese. How did how did they feel? Um, I'm happy you brought this topic up because, um, the Chinese that I'm studying right now, they are not. First to second generation at all because they are just temporary workers there. They have no intention to stay. But the older generation of Chinese,、um, there is such community in Madagascar, and they are called the old Chinese, and they <laughs> are completely different from the Mandarin-speaking Chinese that I study. So they are Cantonese-speaking Chinese,、mm-hmm. and they first came to Madagascar by the end of the 19th century. Wow.、Um, As indentured laborers, by they were brought by French colonizers to work、mm. on sugar plantations,、mm. and then、wow. a lot of them、mm. stayed and married and and integrated in the Malagasy society.、Uh, so that's very interesting. So when、uh, the Cantonese-speaking Chinese first arrived in Madagascar, they were indentured laborers working for French, and now. Mandarin-speaking Chinese、mm-hmm. are taking over the sugar plantation that used to be a French sugar plantation, and then managing the sugar plantation and、mm-hmm. employing Malagasy people. So now you see the history, the continuity of history, that how the power is changing,、mm-hmm. and the roles、yeah. to- sort of shifted there. So I can see. I guess you saw both points of view, both perspectives, when you talked to both the Malagasy people and、um, the Chinese people when you're. Conducting your study, so that must have been interesting to see, like a double agent almost to see both sides. Yeah, but also at the same time, it's really important to recognize my own privilege too, because、right. um, uh, among both the Chinese and the Malagasy people, because for the Malagasy people, someone like me,、uh, what I was doing there、uh, is not even imaginable, because just the fact that I can afford flying to Madagascar mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. something that people would never have such opportunity to do in their life.、Um, and then for the Chinese community that I interacted with,、um, they definitely see me as someone with higher education and、uh, also have like 
really highly valued degree from a Canadian university and that's also set me apart from them. So yeah, so as a researcher or anthropologist, however you call it, um, I am very privileged in that sense. So as an anthropologist, when you were speaking to these people, did you find it difficult to, to relate to them or to try to get them to trust you while you're conducting your research there? Um, yes. When you are entering the field, that's always a question that mm. you have to establish trust and nurture the relationship. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's always possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you just need to uh, build the relationship. Was that easy for you? Um, that was okay for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was okay for me, but it was not without any difficulty, though. Right, yeah. of course. <laughs> so can you give us an, an idea of how you collected your data? Is it um, in the form of interviews with people or observations? Or what were you doing sort of day-to-day there? Yeah, so I used a very uh, just a, a traditional anthropological research method. Called okay. ethno- so what I did in general was called ethnographic fieldwork. And uh, the methods include structured or semi-structured interviews or Mm -hmm. informal interactions or participant observation. So what I did there, I think a typical day would go uh, with just uh, hanging out with people, interacting with people, talk to people. And then, but the most important thing is by the end of the day, you always write down notes of each Mm -hmm. day. So um, because very soon you will forget what happened, Mm -hmm. what people said to you. Um, So you just have to take notes every day. Um, I I guess that's that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, then, in addition to all this, what did sort of day to day life look like for you while you were staying in Madagascar? Um, To be honest, sometimes because field work, it's so long. It right? it lasts mm-hmm. for 14 months for me. Oh, wow. Um, sometimes you really get bored because you <laughs> wonder, what am I doing here? Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it, it, there are always days like that. Um, but the good thing is that if you have nothing to do, you can always learn some languages. Okay. And you never get bored. But the key thing um, in the anthropological field work is just to... Um, there are a lot of improvisations, so you can't stick really to the plan. And a lot of times you plan things ahead, but it just wouldn't happen as mm-hmm. you planned. So you have to be able to be flexible and uh, go with the flow. So there are a lot of improvisations. For example, I went on this road trip with truck drivers mm-hmm. working for Chinese sugar plantation um, to the biggest the port city in Madagascar called Tamatav from the north of the island. So it's like 1,500 kilometers. And it, like round trip took us mm-hmm. like five days. Wow. Uh, so we were like five days on the truck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we um, parked in one gas station, we thought mm-hmm. it was safe, but then our diesel was stolen by, oh, wow. uh, you know, by we don't know who. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of things like mm-hmm. that. But um, if you go with it, you actually gain interesting perspectives mm-hmm. that surprise you. Yeah. Sounds It sounds kind of like fun. I mean, I, I, it n- it sounds like it was kind of tough in that case, but it's an exciting, it was kind of adventurous, you know? It is, yeah. And I'm wondering, uh, it brings to mind the question, what does, what do people do there for fun? Uh, do they, if you're saying, you know, we're very privileged to go around and do sorts of things, are they 
doing the same things that we do, like karaoke and video games? <laughs> yeah, uh, video games, might not so much, but yeah, but definitely, yeah. Uh, karaoke bars, disco bars, a lot of dancing, a lot of beer. Uh, people are happy with their life, even though they have so little. And that is something I also learned uh, from my experience there is that, you know, people don't actually need much to be happy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, sort of outside of your work as an anthropologist, did you have an opportunity while you were in Madagascar to to have fun yourself, to maybe go do touristy things while you were there? Yes, I did touristy things. Uh, that's interesting because the first month I arrived in my second trip, mm -hmm. I was just trying to figure out how to extend my visa from one month to one year. So I was stuck in the capital for a month, mm -hmm. um, just trying to figure out what to do with my visa. Oh, so wow. at the same time, I was also bored. So I uh, <laughs> went on these hiking trails uh, in national parks and I did see lemurs and they are very <laughs> adorable, oh, highly recommended. <laughs> um, I also went to um, the beaches in the north. They have really beautiful white sand beaches. Uh, it's very, very beautiful. And this in the city that I stayed, there was a, a, a place called uh, Mer d'Amarot. It means mm -hmm. Emerald Sea. Okay. And the water is just jade color. Wow. Um, yeah. And I also had a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I went to disco bars with friends and uh, a lot of parties. <laughs> yeah. That sounds... So now I'm yeah. hoping that my supervisor is not listening to this. <laughs> right, because you went there to work, not to not to play. Yeah, exactly. It was all part of your studies. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you gained valuable experience from that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing all of your experiences with us. This was... This showed great insight to what Madagascar is like and the type of people that are there. Unfortunately, we have to sort of wrap up our show for today. Thank you again for uh, for joining us. And if anybody wants to contact you on the work that you did or sites to see in Madagascar, yeah. um, where can they find you? Um, you can find me. You can find my profile on academia.edu. Just okay. uh, search my name. Mingyuan, Jen, and you'll find all the stuff I did. And yeah, and thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Mingyuan. And so this comes to the end of another episode of Your Gradcast, a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at the University of Western Ontario. We come at you every Tuesday night at 6 p.m. You can also catch our podcast on our website at gradcast.ca or on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever, you know, you get your fine, excellent podcasts. If you would like to come on the show as a guest or join the committee and help us put on this wonderful program, drop us a line uh, at gradcastradio at gmail.com. We'd be happy to have you on the show. And good night. From Western to the world. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker. <laughs>